And take your Bibles if you have them this morning. Go ahead and be found in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah is over in the Old Testament. If you're in Psalms, go to the right a few books. Jeremiah chapter 1. And we'll be in verses 4 and 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. The scripture says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of so many things going on today, God, I just pray that in our minds... God, that you'd slow everything down and let us hear from you. God, we appreciate so much those who have led us in worship today, allowing us to sing praises to your, to your throne. And God, as John just saying, Lord, we need you. God, I need you in these next few moments. We need you when we go home today. God, we need you when we get up tomorrow, if it's your will, and we're still here on this earth. And God, we need you on Tuesday. Lord, in the midst of all uncertainty in our country, what gives us joy and what gives us peace is the certainty that knowing you are always in control. And no matter what happens in our country, nobody, not even the gates of hell, can destroy the church. And I pray, Lord, that we would have that mindset in every decision that we make, every prayer that we pray, that we, the people of God, nothing, nothing, will ever destroy us. But God, we need you. You've chosen to use us to make a difference in this world today. And Lord, we have a great opportunity in just a few days. Help us today as we look through your word and we talk about a subject, Lord, that is communicated a lot, but not in detail. That is mentioned a lot, but many times not the biblical point point of view. I pray this morning that we would be accurate according to what the Word of God says and that we would believe what the Word of God says. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. In 48 hours from now, many of you will go, many of us will go to the polls and we'll cast a vote. Some of you have already voted and I'm grateful for that. I will encourage you that no matter what you may hear, it is our right and it is our obligation, not only from our Lord, but all of these men and women who stood and who have fought for our freedom to go and to vote on Tuesday. There's never a situation too bad where Christians need to stay home. If Christians begin to stay home from the polls, then every freedom and every right that we ever have will soon go by the wayside. All the way through the Bible, even to our land today, we are called to make a difference. We are called to be salt and we are called to be light. How in the world can we be salt and light without going to the ballot box and casting a vote? 
This morning, I want to preach a message, and I have, uh, I'm not a political preacher. Um, I don't even know. I think that may be an oxymoron of a word. I'm not sure. I don't know if they can go together. But I want to be very biblical this morning because we have in front of us on Tuesday an election like we have never seen before. Even myself as a young man, I've never been in a situation like we are facing on Tuesday. And I would even say even some of you senior adults have never been in a situation like that's, that's in front of us on Tuesday. No matter what happens on Tuesday, our nation will be divided. In fact, I believe that no matter what happens on Tuesday, there will probably be violence. There will probably be activity out in the streets. And we've never seen anything like that on any type of election. But I believe we'll see that on Tuesday. I hope we don't. And I think that's something that will come to pass. I want to preach this morning on a subject not about how America can be uh, prosperous again economically. I don't want to preach on how we can control this climate or that climate. I don't want to share about how our education system may need to be reformed or all of these other things. I want to go strictly to the Bible because I believe as a Christian that when we go to the polls, we do not vote a candidate. We vote someone who believes according to the Bible, as close to the Bible as you can possibly get. There are two issues that God, that's, that God controls. That is the issue of life that is the issue of marriage. And I believe that when we go to the polls, that we elect a candidate as close to that as we possibly can to those issues. And I think God can take care of the rest. When it comes to our economy, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When it comes to $19 trillion in debt, the Lord can take care of that in one second if He chooses to do that. When it comes to climate change, the Lord can take all the Christians into heaven and all of that will taken care of will be by its place. The issues in North Korea and Iran and all of that, God can take care of in a heartbeat. But when it comes to the issue of life and marriage, it's up to the church. There's never been a president who is from George Washington until the president elected on Tuesday that will not have been put in without the help of the church. Most recently, it's because the church stayed home. And because the church stayed home by the millions in 2012, we have what we have today. But every president who has ever been elected is because of the church. It's because the church has cast the ballot. It's because the church has cast the vote. And I would say safe to say that by Tuesday, the, the results of Tuesday is because of that little word many people talk about today, the evangelical vote. What are Christians going to do? What is the church going to do? Jeremiah says here that the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you, I ordained you to a prophet to the nations. You know where I'm going in just a few minutes. But I believe every election since 1973, every election, the center focus remains the issue of life. More specifically, the issue of abortion. What do candidates believe about the issue of abortion? Not only is this a moral issue, but it is a constitutional issue. The Bible and also our United States Constitution undeniably prioritizes the value of the human life. In 1973, the decision Roe versus Wade that legalized abortion in our country today, this is what they said, and I quote, we need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins. When those trained in respective disciplines of medicine and philosophy and theology are unable to arrive at a consensus, the Justice Department at that point 
in the development of man's knowledge is not in a position to speculate as to answer. In the same year, 1973, the Congress passed the Endangered Species Act protecting animals from facing... facing to date, there are at least 10 laws protecting over 1,200 species of animals, ranging from the giant panda to the bald eagle. The list includes, in 1970, nest. Guys, just, just, Satan is getting rid of my microphone, but I got an extra one. And if that one goes out, we got five right here. This list, in 1973, includes nest and eggs of the bald and golden eagle. Apparently, the government is unable to determine that a bald eagle egg is an eagle even before it hatches. They are able to determine that. Yet it cannot determine that a baby in a womb is a human person. January 22, 1973, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion in its landmark decision, Roe v. Wade. In that decision, they ruled that an unborn child is neither a human nor a person and therefore is not protected under the Constitution. The fetus, not seen as a separate entity in itself, merely functions as a part of the mother's body. The court also conferred the decision for two other reasons. A woman's right to privacy included her right to terminate a pregnancy. And the state's interest in unborn life is not sufficient enough to outlaw abortion. The child, labeled as potential life, does not require the government to protect its one chance to live. So today, all across the United States, according to the Center of Disease Control, 3,000 babies will be aborted today on average. 3,000, that is one every 30 minutes. One in five pregnancies today in the United States, 21% ends in abortion. In 2010, unmarried women accounted for 85% of all abortions. At the current rate, one in three of all women will have had an abortion. 70% of aborting women identified themselves as having a religious persuasion. If you want to end abortion in the world, you've got to end it in the church. 90% of abortions occur in the first trimester. In 2009, the cost of an abortion was $451. And today, on Tuesday, we have a platform that has never gone as far as they are going today when it comes to the issue of life. We've always had candidates who believed in the choice of the mother, the pro-choice argument, but we've never had a candidate so vocal when it comes to the issue of life. Not only calls for the continuation of abortion, but this candidate also defends late-term abortion, the most barbaric form of any abortion out there. This candidate says, and I quote at a recent debate, I want a Supreme Court that will stick with Roe versus Wade and a women's, woman's right to choose. Now, and she mentioned the other candidate, has put forth the names of some people that he would consider on the Supreme Court. And the ones that he has suggested are people who would reverse Roe versus Wade. I think that would be a terrible mistake, and that would take us backwards, said the person running for president on Tuesday. In the third debate, this candidate even went, any, went further on that. The third debate, just three weeks ago, 
This candidate was even more forthright about her position on abortion. This person said, I will defend planned parenthood. I will defend Roe versus Wade. We have come too far to have that turn back now. When the moderator, Chris Wallace, pressed this candidate for specific answers on this person's position on late-term abortion, this person remained unwavering in their opinion that late-term abortions were permissible. This person even famously voted against a ban on partial birth abortion. Think about that for a moment. We have a candidate running for President of the United States that has made it 100% clear that they intend on promoting abortion using taxpayer-funded dollars to do so and has even been unwavering support for the partial birth abortion of the bipartisan Hyde Amendment which presently bans use of taxpayer dollars to fund abortion. This candidate could have not been clearer they write, I think we should do everything we can to repeal the Hyde Amendment that protects late-term, third-trimester abortion. This candidate is in favor of Planned Parenthood. You hear in our media many of the good things that Planned Parenthood does, but you forget about many of the things that Planned Parenthood does not do. Five things about Planned Parenthood. The Federation of America has 57 affiliates that operates approximately 650 health centers. They are required that at least one clinic per affiliate must perform abortions. Planned Parenthood is responsible for 323,000 abortions a year. In fact, in 2014, the corporation received $553.7 million from you and from me, from our taxpayers. The founder of Planned Parenthood, you can Google this and find it, find it for yourself. The founder of Planned Parenthood was the notorious young woman named Margaret Sanger. Sanger wanted to control the reproduction of immigrants, the poor, certain religious groups, and anyone else she thought was from an unacceptable heritage. She referred to such people as reckless breeders who were unceasingly spawning a class of human beings that should never have been born at all. In 1939, Sanger started the Negro Project and attempted to get Christian ministers to aid her effort. As she wrote in a letter to a fellow uh, person who had this position, she said, We do not want to get word out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straight out that idea, even if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. You will never see a Planned Parenthood in a major metropolitan city, you will always see it in the lower, impoverished areas of poverty, mainly made up of those of different ethnic groups. Number three, Planned Parenthood has repeatedly and consistently turned the blind eye to reports of statutory rape. Some of the clinics have also demonstrated a willingness to partner with those that are promoting sex trafficking. Four, Planned Parenthood strongly opposes sex education that focuses on abstinence and has gone so far as to file lawsuits against school districts that have decided to implement abstinence-only programs. Planned Parenthood has consistently supported partial birth abortion. We have a major, major crisis in our country. Never have we faced a candidate who has been so vocal on their right to choose when it comes to abortion. There are three types of abortions that are today. The third one is outlawed, but if, if this person has their way, it will be law of the land. 
The most popular is the first trimester abortion. This is oftentimes by suction. The abortionist first paralyzes the cervical muscles of a child. He then inserts a hollow plastic tube which has a knife-like edge on the tip into the uterus. The suction tears the baby's body into pieces. The suction is 29 more times powerful than that of a home vacuum cleaner. Absolutely barbaric. Second trimester, although not used much today as the salt poisoning abortions were common in the 1970s and 1980s, a large needle is inserted through the abdominal wall of the mother into the amniotic sac. A concentrated salt solution is then injected. The baby breathes and swallows it. It's poisoned. The skin is burned. He struggles and convulses. It takes over an hour to kill the baby. Because of the danger to the mother, this method has been replaced. The method used today is a pliers-like instrument. It's used because the baby's bones are calcified. There is no anesthetic for the baby. The abortionist inserts the instrument into the uterus and grabs the leg or any body part and twisting tears it from the baby's body. This is repeated again and again. The spine must also be snapped and the skull crushed. Third trimester, what we call partial birth abortion. This has been outlawed in America. Every candidate who's ever run for, run for president has run from this particular form of abortion, except one. There's been candidates like our recent president who could not give a clear answer when it came to this issue. He said, that's above my pay grade. But we have a candidate today who is running for president who is extremely vocal that even nine months into the pregnancy, the baby has no rights and can be aborted. You've heard the term partial birth abortion. Do you know what actually happens? Like a breech delivery, the entire baby is delivered except the head. Then a scissor is jammed into the base of the skull. A tube is inserted and the brain is sucked out. Then the dead infant is delivered. And we have a candidate in front of millions of people. That's why I'm not saying her name. Let me move on. A candidate who believes that this is right. This is why I believe that we as Americans have a choice. We have a choice to make. I realize that there are 55 million families in America today who may be in that realm of abortion. There are families in churches. There are families that we come in contact with. All shapes and all sizes that may struggle with this issue. And I have to tell you, it's not something easy to share. But I believe the Bible is very clear when it comes to Jeremiah. The scripture says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let me share three truths from this scripture this morning on the issue of life. Number one, God has a sovereign perception of life. God has a sovereign perception of life. The scripture says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Do you realize the first person who ever thought about you was God? 
And the first person who's ever thought about it, any child who's ever been conceived is God. God is the author of life. There are men and women who are in this room today who are married who have tried to have children. And you understand that God is the author of life. God may have blessed you. You may have tried for a year, may have tried for two years. And God may have blessed. There may be still a, 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 an attitude of prayer that needs to be needed to, to pray for you and to pray for a child if that's what you desire. For some of you, as you have uh, enjoyed the life of marriage, you weren't quite ready for children, but God was ready. And he blessed you with the child. See, God is the author of life. He says, I knew you. The word know means to know, to notice, to perceive, to be aware of. Do we as Christians, do we believe in God's sovereignty? Do we believe that God is in control of all things? Do we believe that God is on his throne today? And the issue is, yes, we do. We believe all that. We believe that God is on his throne on Tuesday. We believe that God is on his throne on Wednesday because God has a sovereign perception of life. He told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew exactly who you were. And every child who's ever been conceived is a creation from God because we may not know who they are, but God does. And for nine months, God is forming and shaping the, the structure of that child. I've heard many Christians say that abortion is wrong, except. And they begin to use excuse like the health of a mother or a child with special needs or rape or incest or things like that. In my opinion, it's a yes or no. It's not a yes, but. It's not a no, but. It's an issue of life or it's, it's not an issue of life. Now, there are circumstances that I don't wish on anybody. But these are circumstances where we must believe that God is in control of all things, including the life of our children, including the life of our mothers, that God has a sovereign perception of life. The first person to ever think about you was God. Not only does he know you, but the scripture says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, he said, I sanctified you, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Look at the first verb that he mentioned. Before I formed you, I knew you. So God knew you. He, he, he has a sovereign perception of life. But number two, God is the starting point of life. The first glance of Almighty God when it comes to your child is to hear the heartbeat several weeks into the pregnancy. And with modern technology today to sit down and your wife is sitting on this table and they put that instrument and you can begin to hear the heartbeat. That is an issue of life. And God says, I formed you. I have started your life. God is the starting point of life. If God starts life, we have no business ending what God has started. He says, I formed you. Jeremiah 18, 2 and 4, Genesis 2, verse 7. You can write these down. Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The most popular pro-choice argument is that a woman has a right to make decisions about her own body. And we can agree that every person has a right when it comes to their health, when it comes to their body. But truthfully, absolute control doesn't exist. See, today a woman has a, does not have, by law, 
A woman has no rights when it comes to committing suicide, when it comes to selling her body parts, when it comes to selling her own body, except in Nevada. You don't have that right. It's against the law. An even greater problem is the rights argument is that the reality that an unborn baby is not part of the mother's body. The baby will oftentimes have a different blood type, a different DNA, and will not be the same as the mother's. And since the baby is not part of the mother's body, this baby has rights as well. Our society has laws that limit a person's exercise of freedom into order to protect the rights of others. In other words, the right to choose ends at the point where the rights of another one begins. I believe honestly that as parents and as a mother, as a father, that we have no right to end what God has started. A woman has no right to choose what she did not create. This is very personal to me. It's very personal to my family because two times in my own life I have sat across from a doctor who has said, you need to abort. You need to give up your child. You have one child who will not live past this day. One day you have a child who's going to have special needs and it becomes very personal. But what we had to do as a family was to come back to the word of God and say, God, you are in control of all things. You are in control of life. And if you choose to give a child with special needs, we're going to do that. If you choose to give a child with this type of needs, God, that's fine. We're going to choose life because we believe that you are in control of all things, everything about our life. God, number three, has a special purpose in life. He says here, before I formed you, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you, I sanctified you. Number three, God has a special purpose for life. The word sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be consecrated. This means that Jeremiah was set apart by the word of the Lord and for the Lord, even before he was known in the Lord in a very personal way. God would later do the same with Paul in Galatians 1 verse 15. There's not a child who's ever been conceived that God doesn't have a special purpose in life for. Every person has a purpose. Psalm 127 verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Jeremiah 22, verse 3, Thus says the Lord, Execute judgment and righteousness and deliverers, the plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. You are not an accident. Your mom and dad may not have planned for you, but God did. And God has a specific purpose for you in this life. You are here today for a special purpose and a specific purpose, and that's to be used for the kingdom of God. God told Jeremiah, before you were even born, I set you apart for a specific purpose on this earth. Can I remind you, God does not need us, yet He chooses to allow us to be a part of this world, to bring Him honor and to bring Him glory. He does not need us, but He inhabits the praise of His people. He encourages the praise of His people. And He puts believers, I believe, puts people in this world so they will turn and trust Him and they will in turn praise the name of Jesus. You have a specific purpose here in this life. Number four and last one, the Scripture says, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. 
God has a specific plan for your life, not just a purpose when you were born, but a plan to live out. And God told Jeremiah, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. A prophet was the chosen and authorized spokesman for God who declared God's word to the people. The Hebrew word ordained comes from an Arabic, uh, uh, Arabic root that means to announce. For example, Moses spoke to Aaron and Aaron spoke to Pharaoh. Prophets did more than just tell the future. Their messages had present application to the life of the nation. They were foretellers, excuse me, foretellers more than foretellers, exposing the sins of the people and calling them back to the covenant responsibilities before God. Listen to what Proverbs 24, 11, and 12 says. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And he will not render to each man according to his own deeds. You have a responsibility, and so do I, when it comes to the issue of life. We have a responsibility when it comes to elections, and that is to pray. And that is to vote. To pray. And that is to vote. And when you cast your ballot on Tuesday, it's not that I'm not voting for a candidate. On Tuesday, I will vote for 3,000 children who will not see the light of day on Tuesday. And Wednesday, 3,000 who will not see the light of day. And since 1973, 55 million who have not seen the light of day. All because an issue when it comes to choice. But my friend, the scripture is very clear. He told Jeremiah, I knew you and I formed you. I set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet in the nation. God is the starting point of life. And if he's the starting point of life, then he has a sovereign perception that he has everything in control. As a father of a special needs child, two children, one who's in heaven today and one who's sitting back there in the back, I wouldn't change anything in the world. Yes, it's been hard and yes, it's been difficult, but she's brought more life to her mom and dad, and to her brother, and to her sister. It is disturbing because 93 known cases, 93% of known cases of children with Down syndrome in an abortion. And it's troubling. But this is more than just voting for a candidate. This is voting for life. And this is voting for candidates that have a platform that they will choose life. Voting for a candidate who will elect Supreme Court justices, who will overturn Roe versus Wade. America will never be strong again. And it will never, ever, ever get back to the way it was before 1973. Until that law is changed and we begin to value life as if God created it. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that you would clean up anything I just messed up. And God, I also pray for the families all across our world, and there may be even some here in this church who have had an abortion. Or know somebody, Lord, who's had an abortion. God, I'm grateful that your scripture forgives. 
God, it's not the unpardonable sin. And God, where there's sin, there's forgiveness. And there's grace. And God, there are many who have faced abortion, who have chose abortion, that today you're using as a platform of the grace of God. As a platform to be able to share about life and how to choose life. There's not a child in this world that does not deserve to live. Because every child is a creation from you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the subjects that are easy to preach. I thank you for the subjects, Lord, that are near and dear to our hearts. And that are tough to read. But God, we're in a crisis in our country. We're in a crisis. And we need you. Every hour we need you. God, I pray for our church family in these next 48 hours that we would pray. Many, Lord, are fasting. And that we would do our responsibility. We realize that we cannot change the entire country, but we can make a difference. One by one. God, that's what we need. So, Lord, use this invitation time. There may be those who do not have a relationship with you. Lord, who will turn to you today, ask forgiveness for their sins, and trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, would you save somebody today? God, there may be those who are guests that you've called here to be a part of our church family. Lord, if you've led, Lord, I pray they would be obedient to you concerning that matter. Lord, there may be those that have been saved, that never been baptized. And today, Lord, you're speaking to their heart to make their decision public and to follow the Lord in believers' baptism at a soon time. God, we just wait upon you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if you would to stand and just to pray. I'm going to ask